Uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 43 through 54. Uh, this morning's message is about faith. Okay, it's about faith. As Jude would say, many people over the years have crept in unnoticed. He said that in Jude, a little short little letter right before Revelation. And they were turning saving faith into something else. They were making faith in Christ. Here, here is a baseless faith. Okay? Uh, a faith that was not founded on Christ, not founded on the Word of God. They, they turned the Word of God into a secondary issue. A secondary issue. When we're going to see in the Gospel of John, John makes it a primary issue. I want to show you this morning how or in our passage, it is a primary issue. Not only in our passage, but in the whole Gospel of John, you're going to see that it is a primary issue. So I titled it The Nature of Faith. The nature of faith is that it is the source, its source is the Word of God. The source of true saving faith is the Word of God. It's not somebody else's testimony. It's not signs and wonders and miracles. It's the Word of God. And I want to show you this morning how John emphasizes that not only in our passage, but throughout. He weaves it through the Gospel of John over and over and over again. So let's stand together. We'll read together John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. Verse 43, after the two days he went forth from there into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. End of quote. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then he said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is again the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, give us wisdom. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to understand John's intent of incorporating this section of Scripture into his gospel. To understand this truth is to understand you better, is to ground ourselves, our faith in the word of God more. And Father, that's exactly what you call us to do. And so, Father, may the Spirit of God take the Word of God and, and, and 
and embed it and write it a little bit more deeper in our own hearts. We ask these things. And Lord God, so that it returns to your glory. That's it. God, may I never forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. When, when John wrote this gospel, remember in chapter 20, he told us the purpose of this gospel is that you might believe, and having believed, you might have life in his name. And as you're going to see this morning, in this passage and throughout, he makes it clear that the source of faith is the very words of Jesus himself. The very words of Jesus himself. In other words, one, listen to this, one cannot have true saving faith without a hunger and an appetite and a thirst for the word of God. Let me repeat that one more time. We're describing what the Bible has to say true saving faith is. Here is the very nature, the very core of it. It is this. One cannot have true saving faith without a hunger, without an appetite, without a thirst for the word of God. If one says they believe and yet always find the word of God boring, dreary, and uninteresting, I propose that that profession of faith is empty. That's hard, isn't it? But is it true? If they have no interest, if one says they're a Christian and yet has no interest in opening up the word of God and reading it during the week, And if they go to church without the primary purpose being to open up the Word of God in the service, then you've got a question about the kind of faith that they have. Is it true? Is it genuine? Is it a faith that is wrought by the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives? John chapter 3, you must be born again. You see, if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, he gives you graciously that appetite, that hunger, that thirst for the Word of God. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit who produced what we have in our laps this morning. Why would he indwell a person without giving them that hunger and that thirst and that desire to be in the very Word that he moved the prophets and the apostles to produce? That Word that springs forth to what? To Christ, to eternal life. Simply put, if one says that they believe and yet they have no interest in the word of God, their profession is empty. It's empty. As Paul says in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so to help us understand what's going on here in these verses this morning, I want us to understand for a moment Jesus' ministry up to this point. So let's take a two, three-minute review real quick. In chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to back up for a moment, chapter 2, verse 1, we see that Jesus is in Galilee. Okay? I'm going to draw a little picture here. I think I want to turn this around for the sake of the picture. It's a geographical picture. (laughs) You look at Israel, there's two lakes. This is Salt Sea and the Sea of Galilee. Put that up here. Okay, Mediterranean over here, okay, this is basically what we call Israel, and, and Judea is down here, okay, and down here is where there's Jerusalem, okay, Bethlehem where he's born, up here you have Galilee, okay, in between what do you have, last week, 
Samaria, okay? You have Samaria in between these two. And typically Jews would go around Samaria to go to Galilee. But we see he turned water into wine. He starts up here in Galilee. Cana is up here in Galilee. After that, he comes down to Judea, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1, he's in Cana of Galilee. Later on in chapter 2, in verse 13, he goes to Jerusalem. Where's that out? He's in Jerusalem, okay? Later on, he says, I want to go back to Galilee. Down here, he's in Judea with Nicodemus. He teaches, you know, he shares the truth with him. And then he goes, wants to go back up to Galilee, but on his way through chapter 4, he talks with the Samaritan woman, okay? He's done with that. And now he's heading back again on the road to Galilee. That's what's going on. But I wanted to point out something. When, when he's in Samaria, look at verses 39 through 42 for a moment. What's going on here? Many from the city of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. But I think what John's saying is that's good, but it's still incomplete. Notice what happens next. He told me all the things that I have done. They believed her testimony. So when the Samaritans, verse 40, came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. What was Jesus doing for those two days? He was teaching them the gospel, telling them the truth of who he was. Let me point out this also. There was not one miracle. There was not one wonder. There was not one healing that happened in Samaria. But notice the result of his teaching, verse 41. Many more believe because of what? His word. Here's the goal of the person who testifies of the gospel, who testifies of Christ. Their job, our job, is that our testimony results in that person going to the very word of God and believing the Bible for what it says. Not because I say so. Not because you say so, but because this is the source of true saving faith. Isn't that beautiful? Therefore, verse 43, after the two days he went forth there unto what? Galilee. Isn't that amazing though? He spent time with the Samaritans two days teaching, sharing. He's the Christ. It was the same message we learned, right? It wasn't a different message. He taught them the same thing. But they believe because of his word. That's very important in understanding verses 43, 44, and 45 because look what John says here in verse 43. After the two days, he went forth there into Galilee. Verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Verse 43. But then look at verse 44. I mean, 45, excuse me. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. I want you to know in the Greek, the received means they just welcomed him. It was cordial. It doesn't mean he necessarily believed. But then notice also in that verse why. The motive is embedded right there in the text. Having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem. What did he do in Jerusalem? He overturned the tables. Notice it wasn't because of what he said. Verse 45 again, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves were there. And they had seen, they saw. And so they received him because they saw what he did. 
The Samaritans received his word. They first started by receiving her testimony, the woman, right? But then it resulted in them believing in his word. Here's the point. Many people follow Jesus for what they can get out of him. They love him because of what he can do, but they don't like his message. Who in the world wants to hear about hell? Who in the world wants to hear that, in the world wants to hear that they're sinners? Who wants to hear that I got, can do nothing to get to heaven? That my works is as filthy rags? Who wants to hear, as Paul says in Romans 3, there's none who does good, no, not one. Who wants to hear that? I hate that kind of message, but I love what Jesus can do. He can feed 5,000 people. He can heal a person. He can do this or that. But when it comes to the message, can I have Jesus without the message? Can I have what Jesus can do without the truths of his word? That's what's going on here. And believe you me, is it applicable today in our society? You see, understanding the broader context help us, helps us to understand verses 43, 44, and 45. Without understanding the, without the context, we kind of look at 44 and 45 as being contradictory one to another. Because verse 44 is a proverbial statement, it's a pithy statement. That a prophet has no honor in his own country, and yet he goes to Galilee, and people received him. But notice the motive between the Samaritans and the Galileans. They wanted his word. They knew he spoke the truth, spoke the truth. Here, the Galileans saw what he did in Jerusalem. Now, when you think of Judea and Galatians, and Galatians, <laughs> Judea and Galilee, that, that's Jesus' country. He was born in Bethlehem, which is in Judea. He was raised in Nazareth, which is up here in Galilee. Those were his, the Samaritans weren't his people. So when it says a prophet has no honor in his own country, I think he's referring to Galilee and Judea and look at Samaria. No Jew would have ever claimed Samaria to be their own country. That's how bad off it was, right? It was dirty. It was unclean. So I think what John is doing is comparing and contrast, contrasting the motives behind the people wanting to see Jesus or be with him. Here's the point. Here's the point. John is highlighting the fact that the source, the authority of saving faith, is not the testimony of another. It's not the signs, miracles, and wonders that he does, but it's the truths that he spoke. And he always spoke the truth. Not one word that ever came out of his mouth was not full, 100% of truth. Faith based simply on the testimony of another is incomplete. It's an incomplete faith. Faith that is solely based upon, I saw some miracles, wonders, and signs, that is an incomplete faith because those things are not the source of saving faith. It is the Word of God. What do you do when, when you feel that God is not around because nothing good is happening in your life? I saw, I've seen no sign lately. I've had nothing good happen to me. Things are taken away from me. Uh, life is just miserable. Uh, you know, what, what, where do you go? 
If your faith is based on the result of those questions I just asked, then your faith is not grounded in the truths of God's word. God's word will sustain your faith no matter what your circumstances are. And beloved, if you're like me, your circumstances are like this all the time, right? You know, something just popped in my head. It's an illustration, but I shared it with you a long time ago. We're going to go on because we have communion. So Ron, look at me like, okay, let's keep going. More importantly than that, at the core of Christian faith is the Word of God. It is the source. And I want to show you that John highlights this throughout his gospel. Go to chapter 5, verse 24 for a moment. Uh, it's gonna, gonna, give me five minutes to do this, okay? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Chapter 5, verse 24. I want to show you the emphasis on the words of Christ. John puts, we weaves through his gospel the emphasis of faith being grounded in the word of God, the words of Christ himself. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my what? Word. Not sees my signs, but hears my word. And believes in him who sent me has eternal life. It has not come into judgment, but has passed out of death unto life. Look at the next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man. The voice is in reference to his what? Words. Wow. And those who hear will live. Look at verse 47, same chapter. Very last verse of chapter 5. But if you do not believe his writings, who's his writings there? Look at the context of the verse before. It's Moses, referring to the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, the first five books, at least, of the Old Testament. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my what? Words, Jesus is saying. He's talking to the Jews. If you believe in what Moses wrote in the Pentateuch, you've got to believe what I'm telling you right now. It's a both and, not an either or. Let's go on. This is just going to build and build and build. Chapter 6, verse 63. Chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And here it is. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Not the signs, not the wonders, not the words. The emphasis of John's gospel is on the words of Jesus Christ. It, it, it is the source of true saving faith. And I'm going to pound this one home, okay? That's why we're going. We're spending some time here. After 63, we go to verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Believe what? His words. You believe I have the power to do signs and miracles because you see them, you witness them. But when I start teaching you about who I am, when I teach you about the incarnation, when I teach you that you're a sinner and you need me and there's no other way to heaven, you balk at that. So why are you really following me is the question that is being begged over and over and over again. Verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have what? Words. Words of eternal life. There it is again. Chapter 7, verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because Jesus says, I testify of it. What does testify in reference to? When I teach, I'm teaching what the world's really like, and it doesn't like what I have to say. 
that what? Look at the end of verse 7. Your deeds are evil. (laughs) It's not a pleasant message, is it? People don't like hearing that today. Verse 16. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. You know, Jesus is just a messenger. He's saying, I am the Son of God. I, I, I came down from heaven. What I'm telling you is what my Father tells me to tell you, and I say and tell nothing else. What I am teaching you, the words that come from my mouth, are the very words that my Father wants me to tell you, and I tell you nothing else. So when you reject my words, you're rejecting God's word, my Father's word. And what you don't want to hear is how evil your deeds are. And so what do men do today? They water down the message. And they water it down by by minimizing the bad news that I'm in a sinner. And because God is holy, 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 I deserve the judgment of God. I deserve, I earn the right to spend eternity apart from God in hell. And there's nothing I can do, nothing, zero. I'm in such a quagmire, I'm in such a position where I cannot dig my way out of my condition or my situation. i got to be utterly dependent upon someone else, and it can't be another regular human being. It must be the Son of God who took upon himself my sins. It's his work, the work of another I must trust, ultimately the work of the cross. Let's go on. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 26. I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. He reiterates that again, saying, what I speak to you comes from my Father. Verse 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my what? Word. So why do we make the word of God the emphasis in the church? And we keep preaching it over and over and over again because we got to continue in his word because true followers of Christ, that's their appetite. That's their desire. That's their hunger and their thirst. You know why the word of God is not boring? Because no matter what portion of scripture you're in, it brings you to the foot of the cross. It brings you to the writer of the book. And it becomes more of a love letter to your soul. Look at verse 45 of chapter 8. But because I speak the truth, words, words, you do not what? Believe me. Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Go on to chapter 10. Oh, this is where it begins to, this is the climax here in chapter 10. After talking about he is the good shepherd in verses 1 through 18 and verse 19, a division occurred. Why? Why did a division occur? Because of these words. Because of what he was teaching him. He, what he's teaching divides people. His words are divisive. And finally, the Jewish authorities got to the point in verse 24, if you are the Christ, just plainly tell us. And Jesus said to them in verse 25, I told you and you did not believe. And even the works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. 
They testify of my word. See, all the works that Jesus did, his miracles, his signs and wonders, testified to the fact that every word that came out of his mouth, every time he taught, every time he spoke, that every word that came out of his mouth was absolutely true, was born from heaven above. Where did this doubt of God's word ever come from? Where did this begin? Genesis chapter 3. Wow. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They questioned the veracity, the trustworthiness of God's word, whether spoken or written. Now let's follow through with this. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again, this wasn't the first time, to stone him. Jesus answered them in verse 32 of chapter 10, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? Why are you stoning me? Look at all the good things I have done, my works. Look at the Jews' response in 33. This is it. Here's their answer. For a good work, we do not stone you. You fed 5,000. You fed 4,000. You've healed people. We're not stoning you for that, Jesus. Well, then what are you stoning him for? Blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. In other words, we're stoning you. We want to kill you because you're teaching and your words about who you are. Wow. Wow. That's it. Go to John chapter 12. Verse 46 through 50. Verse 46 of chapter 12, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. What does he mean by that? Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my sayings, in other words, hears my words, my teachings, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. In other words, right now, you're not gonna, it's, it's, I'm not going to fulfill that judgment now. It's going to be later on. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, okay, uh, as one who judges him, the word I spoke is what will judge him in that day. You know what Jesus is saying? The words that come out of my mouth will end up saving people, and those very same words are going to end up in the end judging people. Verse 49, for I did not, what, speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. There it is. He's saying, all I'm saying is what the Father has told me to say. And I do not, he did not deviate from it. Verse 50, it's in case they didn't still yet get it. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak as the Father has told me, period. Wow. Simply put, turn it around, unbelief is not trusting God at his word. It's not trusting Jesus at his word. Now, now let, me, let me pause for a minute and say, many people don't just come out and say, I hate God's word. It's rare. Some people do. But it's just so rare, isn't it? The, the danger is in the subtle ways that people show that they don't like God's word. Does that make sense? What do I mean? By spending no time in God's word, or very little. That's a roundabout way of saying, hmm, it bores me, I don't care. Spending little time in the true saving faith 
that which comes from being born in the Spirit loves to hear, read, and learn the Word of God. This is the nature of true saving faith at its core. Saving faith, it, it hungers and thirsts for the Word of God. It's appetite. It's its sustenance. It's nourishment for my faith. i got to be in it because my faith will starve without it. A person, a Christian, cannot go long without getting hungry for God's Word. The soul. Listen, write down Psalm 119. Oh, do you know of all the largest portions of Scripture in the Bible, it has to do with what? The Word of God. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. I want to highlight a few things here, and I might go rather fast. It's all about the Word. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can, a young, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. Verse 11, your Word have I treasured. Treasured is something of infinite value, the Word of God is. So, so, so truth-saving faith views the Word of God as having infinite value. And I want to go to it because my father wrote it, and that's how I learned to please him. So, so I want to keep my way pure for my father, and i got to do it according to his Word. Your Word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. You want to know how God deals with you? You want to know how God deals with sinners? How God deals with his own children? Get in the word. You'll learn. God tells us how he deals with us. Verse 24. Your testimonies are also my delight. Testimonies is another word for word. Okay? Just put it simply. But he delights in it. Verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust. Wait a minute, that's not good because there's going to be times we experience our souls cleaving to the dust where times are going to be difficult. But what's the antidote? Revive me according to your word. Thirty-eight, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. I love this. The reason why we want to get into God's Word is because it produces in our soul, in your heart, a greater awe, a greater reference for God. It's absolutely vital in worship, is what he's saying. You can't worship God without the Word of God because of what it produces inside our souls, inside our hearts. Verse 41, May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your Word. Verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. There, there, there is, there is this passion, there's this affection for the Word of God. This spiritual affection and appetite and longing and thirst and hunger. There's a couple more. How about 103? How sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You're familiar with this. Verse 107 again, you know, I don't know how many times, but I got it in pink all over my Psalm 119. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. He says that like seven or eight times. So if you're looking for revival in your relationship with Christ, what does the psalmist say? Get in the word. And don't be ashamed that you need that now. And then I've needed that in times of my own walk with Christ. 
There are times where I get bored. There are times where my, my spiritual life gets dry. But I never look at the Bible and go, it's your fault. You're the problem. <laughs> really? No, I'm the problem. And God allows his children to, to go to those depths, to, 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 to experience a little bit of that despair. Why? Because when he brings you out of it, he becomes much sweeter to you. It always results in his glory. Psalm 140. Listen to this. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Pure. There's no, there's no dross mixed in. There, there's no untruth mixed in. It's pure. It's reliable. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's pure. Every word, every jot and tittle I can depend upon is being from God himself. 161. Princesses persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Notice that. Psalm of David. I got rulers. I got people. They persecute me. But even in those moments, my heart stands in awe of your words. Wow. You see, if you have true saving faith, your heart will stand in awe of the word of God. Amen. This is why the seeker-sensitive movement is so troublesome. This is why prosperity gospel is so dangerous. This is why people from Robert Schuller to Joel Osteen and many, many others are so dangerous. That's why healing services are so dangerous. They all appeal to the human senses. Look at it like this. The reason why Jesus healed was to meet the felt need in order to share with them the real need that every sinner has. That is him, his cross, his redemption, his forgiveness. Listen, listen. God could heal whoever he wants and heal millions of people. But if their faith is in that healing, that physical healing, or God bailing me out, or whatever your situation is, what happens when you die? You still end up in eternal death. Think about it for a minute. Jesus came along and said, I'm going to meet your basic, I'm going to meet your felt needs. I'm going to, a real, I'm going to do some physical miracles. But they are all exist to point to the fact that I am the one who's going to meet your real need. And the real need is eternal life, not a temporal healing. All physical healings are temporal. But Jesus says, I want to give you living water. I want to give you life everlasting. That's the real need, isn't it? Hebrews points this out well. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to these words. You don't have to turn. You can write it down if you'd like. For this reason, we must, must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. He's talking about the gospel, talking about Christ. For if we, if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, unchanging, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty when someone tried to alter it, how much will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The salvation, he goes on to explain, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, his words spoken through the Lord, 
Jesus said, here is the gospel, here I am. And then it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Who were they? His disciples, the apostles. God also testifying with them, with the apostles, both by signs and wonders, to what? Validate the message. The, the signs, the powers, the, the miracles, the wonders validated and attested to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and he's speaking the truth. But he also, God also gave the apostles that ability to attest to, to validate their message is the same one as Jesus's message. And beloved, back then it was Jesus's words. Today we have the apostles words. Let's go back and we're going to close with this. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Go back to the Gospel of John, but we're going to move fast forward. I want to show you one more thing, and we're going to do this in closing. Because in our context of chapter 4 and 5, okay, Jesus is dealing is saying, you've got to believe my words. Well, Jesus isn't here today, okay? We don't hear his words. He's not going around preaching like he did 2,000 years ago. So what do we have? He's going to pray it. And then it's going to happen. Okay? Listen to this. Listen to this. In chapter 17, he's praying. In verse 1, he lifts his eyes to heaven. This is what we know as the high priestly prayer. So this is, this is the Son of God engaging the Father. This is incredible. And we are, have this open window to this chapter. So I think it's one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. But notice Jesus in verse 6, 7, and 8 says this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world, his disciples. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept what? Uh Uh-oh, there it is again, your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Notice verse 8, for the words which, Father, you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me based upon what now? His words. I love verse 11. He says, Father, in the middle of verse 11, keep them, keep them in your name. Verse 12, I was keeping them in your name, but now that I'm going to be with you, Father, I want you to keep them in your name. You see, what does the Word of God do? It keeps us in His name. Oh, I love that old hymn that says, Oh, Lord, I'm prone to leave you, prone to leave the one I love. Well, what did God give us to keep us close to Him, to keep us in His name? The Word of God. Now, let's go a little bit further, and we'll wrap up with this. Verse 13, But now I come to you in these things I speak in the world so that they may excuse me, that my that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your words. He's talking to the Father. Father, I've given these guys your word. I've always spoke the truth to them. And the world has, here's the result, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. The truth separates us from the rest of the world. They are not of the world, verse 16, even as I am not of the world. Set them apart. Sanctify them with this truth. In reference to this truth, your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
for their sakes, I set apart myself. So they also may be set apart in truth. Now look at verse 20. Jesus prays. Now this is, this is where the church comes in. This is, he's praying for you in verse 20. He's praying for you right now in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone over here, my disciples. But for those also who believe in me through their word. And beloved, what do you have in your laps this morning but their word? Ephesians 2.20. They, the apostles, the prophets, they laid the foundation, which is the word of God. And that's what we have. Who doesn't love to experience grace? Who doesn't experience the love of God and through the church? Or God opening doors in your life? And God does those things. That is wonderful. That too is a work of God. But when push comes to shove, the source of true saving faith is the word of God. Circumstances go up and down. And as they go up and down, look, I'm wrapping with this up. As they go up and down, your feelings go what? Up and down with them, right? If your faith is based upon your circumstances, as they go up and down, your feelings are driven up and down, your faith is going to be flopping up and down all the time. And that's reality. That's even one of us. We experience that day in and day out. But if our faith is in the Word of God, it's our stability when circumstances change. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever because the Word of God says so regardless of what my circumstances are happening or how my situation is in life. God is always the same. He always loves me even though I've hit rock bottom. He forgave me even though I just, caught, I just, oh, I just blew it yesterday or this morning in sin. You see that? The ground, the landscape, the source, the authority of our faith is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you that you have given the word of God as a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And I pray, dear God, that when we, our appetite, our thirst wanes, dear God, that we pray that you would give it back. Pray for a renewed hunger and thirst for the word. That God, you in our hearts would give us a an ever-increasing appetite for your word. It is what sustains our hearts. It sustains our faith. It, it increases it. It builds it. It's what our faith needs to grow and to mature. God, it's, it's like water to a flower. It makes it grow. It began as a mustard seed, Lord God. I pray that it would just explode into this huge tree that bears so much fruit that people would walk up to us and ask us about the hope that is in us. God, we thank you. We praise you for this morning. God, for our kids, I pray right now as we take communion, we would take it with the confidence that our faith that we talk about, the source of that is the word of God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.